I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's all kidnappers and true crime as my guests Rachel Melanta and Sam Peterson share their thoughts on the underworld and how to survive it. My name is Justin Hamilton and I sleep with the fishes, the sharks and a big squid. show today as I have the host of the Confessions of the Idiots podcast, Sam Peterson, making his big squid debut. Uh, I have to say, we had a whole thing worked out where we were going to share our top five Hugh Grant movies. Yes, I love Hugh Grant. He's a guilty pleasure. And if he pops up in a movie, I'm kind of wrapped, especially if I didn't expect it. Anyway, uh, in the lead up to recording this podcast, I saw something on Twitter that made me laugh. So I thought I'll open with that. And the conversation went in different directions and we never returned to Hugh. So that will be a good reason to have him back. But if you don't know Sam, you'll get a really cool sense of him in this podcast. Also, my dear friend, Rachel Melanta, who is still in this full-on lockdown in Canada... She shares her thoughts about the true crime genre, in particular one series that has inspired some pretty firm views. We like the views when they're firm here on Big Squid. Um, Look, you know, if you have the opportunity, please let her know that you're enjoying her on the podcast. I think some positive love would go a long way for her at the moment while she endures being a long way away from family and, of course, dealing with uh, Ontario's... uh, version of the lockdown, as it were. Let's get right into it today. I have to be honest, I'm quite tired. There's a few jobs on the go at the moment, and uh, in the last couple of days I recorded podcasts for Josh Earl and Will Anderson that are both up, I think. Josh Earls is, and it is on his Patreon page. A really fun podcast it is too. Anyway, I just hit the wall over the weekend, and I think there hasn't been enough going into my brain, I guess. There hasn't been enough 
stimulus going in. It's all going out at the moment. Uh, although I did star Alex Hammond's new book last night, and the opening's real good. Like I am, I'm right in. I'll have to get him on the podcast when I'm finished. Anyway, I said, let's get right into it, and I kept talking. Always nice to lean into the cliche about the dude who lives alone who is incapable of shutting the fuck up. Let's head straight to Canada to hear what Rachel has to say about true crime. She's in year 27 of lockdown, and uh, it's it's been 27 years of lockdown in Canada, is that right? Um, actually, I just, I don't mean to correct you, but we're now in shutdown, which is different right. to lockdown. <laughs> right. Hang on. What's, what's the difference? D- uh, don't ask questions. <laughs> we were in lockdown. Then we were in stay at home. Then we were in lockdown. Then we were in gray lockdown. Then we were in gray modified lockdown. And now we're in shutdown. Right. Okay. You know, I have known through your tweets where your headspace is at. (laughs) And when I look at Twitter and I see that you've posted and most of the sentences are full of words with capital letters, I think, oh, she needs to get out. (laughs) She needs to get some vitamin D. What is happening? Canada, (laughs) you're killing my friend. What are you doing to her? My Twitter feed is essentially just like a spiral into insanity. <laughs> just, and I have some days where I'm like, I'm feeling really good about writing. And then other days it's just, well, everything's fucked. So. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all in the font. The font is giving away where that you're at. That is it. I capitalise more and more. The other day I just started tweeting in full capitals. And it wasn't even like anything I was yelling. It was just like it, right. everything I say is very aggressive. And it's like I messaged you the other week when uh, I think the Grammys were on and I was just got viscerally angry at how much I don't like Harry Styles and he was really doing nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is it is one of my great enjoyments with you is your fury at Harry Styles. And I remember I was in the middle of doing something and I was like, oh, what's he done? So then I kind of looked and it looked really innocuous and that nothing. made me enjoy your text even better. I don't know why it bothers me. I honestly do think, like, I've always not liked Harry Styles, but during lockdown, like, it has turned into, like, a visceral rage that's really not okay. Like, I fully admit right. My like my reasoning for not liking Harry Styles has been very dwarfed by m- my hatred. Like it's not appropriate, and now it's kind of right. gotten to a point where like I see his name pop up on Twitter, and I just get like really angry. And I'm like, this you, like you should seek therapy. This isn't okay. So, especially for someone who essentially makes music, wears really fashion. And, and, you know, if his band is made up of lots of, there's lots of women in his band. He's, he's an ally to all these causes that you believe in. I don't hate his music. I quite like his fashion. I like, I just don't know. I just hate him. (laughs) He annoys me. Uh, Anyway, I'm just saying lockdown or shutdown or grey modified lockdown have not been good for my mental health. (laughs) Yeah. I have a lot of emotions, thing. a lot of emotions. It Maybe it's this. Maybe it's because there are so many things that are legitimate things to be angry at mm. that 
you end up being over the top angry at Harry Styles because in the grand scheme of things, it's not important. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I highly doubt he's affected by my hatred. Like he's on my Twitter feed going, she hates me. This is hurtful. No. Yeah, no, it's got nothing to do with him. It's it's you being able, you can be angry at Harry Styles, but... it doesn't matter. Yes. But you can't be angry at other things because there's too many ramifications that oh, are driving you insane. Very, very true. And, yeah, it's very, um, yeah, just small fry, very low priority stuff. And, yeah, I think I, I've found myself definitely, though, having a lot more emotions during this period. Like, I have more dramatic emotions just in general, and I'm getting really annoyed by things, which leads us into what I'm talking to you about today, actually, because this is one that I got yeah. really annoyed about. <laughs> this is great. Annoyed, All right, get it out. Enough that I, want, I called my mum. I called my right. mum about this to tell her how much it annoyed me. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, lay it on us. Okay, so what I want to talk to you about is true crime, the true crime genre, because as you know, I yeah. love true crime. I've always been pretty in, like pretty into it, but I recently watched a true crime documentary that made me so angry <laughs> that I have not recovered, and it's been the better part of a month. So we'll get to that in a second, but first I just want to talk about what I'm talking about first, like what I'm talking about when I say true okay. crime. So do you watch a lot of true crime? No, not really. Uh, I, I've, it's never quite been a genre that really appealed to me. I, I did listen to, I guess, Serial. The first season of Serial was true crime, uh, but that was even a little bit more investigative uh, reporting, I guess. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I find the stories essentially pretty sad. Yeah. And I would rather deal with it in fiction where I know there's going to be some sort of denouement that will probably some sort of conclusion make me happy yeah but also they're, they're not they're not real characters yes. so yeah there's a there's a little bit of a disconnect from it so sometimes when you hear these stories or you read or watch these stories it's like oh god those people what a clusterfuck of awfulness exactly so I think you're going to agree with me on my points here but <laughs> so yeah, true, great true crime in general it's just like Non-fiction where, non-fiction where they are examining actual crime and the details of real people and real lives, right? And about 40% yeah. of these crime pieces, they focus on serial killers, and but most overall involve murder. Um, and often they'll tell the stories of high-profile cases and, like, sensationalised crimes like uh, O.J. Simpson and JonBenet Ramsey and Aaron Hernandez, mm. and while others focus more on, like, obscure crimes, like weirder things that have occurred in deaths. So... Often they're documentaries, so which are supposedly like fact based, or at least they're supposed yeah. to be entirely fact factual. But you know, um, sometimes they focus more on the legal proceedings, and they're more um, the like court cases. Other times it's about the police work, or sometimes they focus on a criminal themselves, like Ted Bundy or the Night Stalker. Um, but they're all supposedly telling true stories of crime. And so the one that I watched recently had a lot of. Uh, fanfare before it came out it was really hyped and it was called crime scene the vanishing at the cecil hotel and it was released only in february and 
it was highly covered by the media before it was released. I saw so many articles and that coming out hyping this up. So it had a lot of promotion coming behind it because a lot of people had heard of the Cecil Hotel in California um, because a lot of weird stuff's gone down there, basically. So when it came out, I was keen to watch it. And it was four parts and it was awful. (laughs) Right. Wow. And that's my review. So it was... No stars. Zero stars. If I could give it negative stars, I would give it negative stars, Justin. Okay. So... What was the, so what was the story behind the hotel and what did the documentary do so poorly? Well, when I went into it, I believed it was going to focus on the Cecil Hotel as a hotel. I believed it was going yeah. to focus on the range of different things that have happened because numerous deaths have occurred in the hotel, numerous um, like missing persons. Like there's been a lot of stuff that occurred in the hotel in general. Um, there was the night stalker, the serial killer actually lived in the hotel for a little while. Like a lot of stuff's gone down there, but as I began watching it, I realized it was focusing on one very specific case. And this was a disappearance um, that occurred with a Lee. Um, it was a girl. She was 21 and her name was Elisa Lamb. And this happened in about like early 2011, 2012, that kind of time. And she disappeared from the hotel. And it was a very high profile case at the time. And this documentary, this four parts focused on her story and It was honestly more of a conspiracy theorist wet dream than it was true crime, if I'm honest with you. It was clearly made without her family's consent to start with. Um, But secondly, it was... This was a case that was solved. It has been solved. It was solved in the media at the time, and it was very highly publicised. It was a young girl. She was 21. She was Canadian. She had travelled to California, and she um, she basically vanished off the face of the earth. She went missing. And then it got a lot of um, media attention because, well, firstly, no one knew where she was, but secondly because there was a video footage from CCTV footage from the elevator, which was her last known sighting where she was acting extremely peculiar, peculiarly. And she was um, jumping in and out. She looked scared. She looked like someone was following her, but she was the only person seen in the footage. This video was leaked online. Welcome the conspiracy theories and all the YouTuber like internet sleuths. Right. And it became like this whole thing. She was eventually found. Um, I'm going to ruin the ending, so I don't think any of you should watch the documentary. (laughs) She was found. And the tragic part of it was nothing happened. Like, she was not murdered. She was not killed. She had a severe bipolar episode and was manic and ended up, um, she was extremely distressed, went up onto the roof and drowned in one of the water tanks, right? Oh, no. Exactly. The footage that was seen and spread all over the internet were the last moments of a young woman with no support network, severely distressed. And at the time, there was a huge amount of conspiracy theories. When this was solved, because she wasn't found for, like, the better part of two weeks, I believe, and she, this was, um, at the time, there were so many conspiracies that the Cecil Hotel was covering something up or the police were covering something up or... Everything under the sun. Uh, There was some theory that she was being haunted. You know, it was everything under the sun was being created. And these internet sleuths who, like, fancy themselves as detectives, whatever, were hounding the family. 
They were going and staying in the hotel and filming it. This went on for years. Now, here's the thing. This documentary went for four-hour-long parts, and I watched all four being angry from day one just to do this because I was angry from the first episode, and I wanted to see if it got better, and it did not. It was four episodes of interviewing YouTube sleuths, interviewing internet detectives, interviewing everyone under the sun with I'm more qualified then, and basically spurring on conspiracy theories. And after four hours of watching the last five minutes of the documentary, everyone went, "Mm," and then we admitted we were wrong. Thank you for your time. So it honestly felt like when Donald Trump came out against the rioters after he'd spent four years inciting them. You can't spend the entire time going, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, bye. Like, at the last minute, you can't backtrack. And it honestly, the entire thing was so sickening to watch it was alarming to me i honestly felt unwell watching this documentary and how just abusive of power it was well it sounds like there is actually potentially a really interesting story with everything that you mentioned uh, that happened in the doco if you took the angle of this is what happens when a story gets out of control and these people went down these rabbit holes. This is what actually happened, but this is how a story can get beyond the facts and exactly. end up being damaging. So that's actually a really interesting idea exactly. right there, but they didn't do that. They took this voyeuristic um, ability, like option to basically make these... Um, they were interviewing these um, YouTubers like the way they interview detectives in normal documentaries. They were interviewing like they were experts and um, giving them, they were telling the story. Um, And I just think like in general, true crime can be produced without the consent of the victim's family, which is extremely problematic to start with. And we can debate that to the cows come home. But I just believe there's a certain level of responsibility that comes with the true crime genre, or at least there should be. It isn't a fictional story. You're telling the story of someone's most traumatic day at minimum and up to their death. And there has to be a certain level of respect that goes along with that. And I have friends who watch true crime and everything. And I was at my friend's house not long ago and I was really bothered to hear one of my close friends say, oh yeah, I'd heard of that story, but I didn't know how the story ended. And that bothered me because that's the way you talk about Doctor Who. That's the way it made me feel like we were talking about some fictional story someone's made up. And this was someone's daughter. This was someone's sister. This was someone's like friend. And this is a 21 year old, extremely distressed girl who had, Mind you, being moved rooms in this hotel because people she was staying with, they were like in bunk rooms. And the other people in the room had reported to the hotel that she was acting extremely erratically and it was scaring them. So rather than ask her at any time if she needed help, they just shifted her rooms. She ran into the lobby screaming one day. No one asked if she was okay. No duty of care was given at any point. And then they all acted shocked she ended up in this scenario. And it just felt like this was a girl who was wildly unsupported and scared. And this footage of her in the elevator must have been played in that documentary 50 times, just on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, spurring on these conspiracy theories. And it was so irresponsible. And it just made me so sad because if that had been someone I'd known, or God, it would just be horrifically re-traumatizing. And 
Yeah. Not to mention it left so many unanswered questions. Even though at the end it said what occurred, it left so many unanswered questions to encourage these conspiracy theorists and basically encourage the continued harassment of this family who are grieving their child. And I just think that's horrific. And I was so angry at it because it was so hyped up in the media that I think a lot of people will continue to watch it. And I just don't think those sorts of things should be supported. There you go. That's That's what you should be angry at. Stop being angry at Harry Styles. Like if I look up. But if I found out that Harry Styles did the music to it, then you'd be, uh, well. But I don't want to end though (laughs) on a depressing note, right? I think I've convinced you all not to watch this crappy documentary. What? What was what was the full title again? Just so I know to not watch. Stay it. away from it. The full title it was Crime Scene: The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Right. Right. But I do- it's a shit title too. A shit title. Everything about it is shit. But my point yeah. is, I don't want to leave you on depressing <laughs> things. I want to talk about the good true crime, right? Because I think true okay, crime, true crime honestly has a lot of great benefits too. If you move away from that voyeuristic aspect. True crime can do and plays a very important role in society. I think a lot of people have learned a lot about the criminal justice system, about what crime in general and uh, psychology behind it through this. And it is a very important medium, or at least I believe that. So, like, The Innocence Files, which is on Netflix at the moment, it is a um, documentary, it is a different parts, and it bases itself around the charity The Innocence Project. The Innocence Project is based out of New York and focuses on working with the wrongly convicted. So they get wrongly convicted people out of prison, basically. Um, It is an amazing organisation. The Innocence Files, it's incredibly informative and it's actually raised both awareness and huge amounts of funds for these wrongfully convicted people who a lot of the time cannot afford to pay legal fees. So I think The Innocence Files, there you go. There's a great one that worked well. Unsolved Mysteries, which has been going on for a million years, let's be real. There is 230 episodes and they estimate that... um, over one, over sorry, of the more than one thousand three hundred mysteries profiled, over half the cases fe- featuring wanted fugitives have been solved. More than a hundred families have been reunited with lost loved ones, and seven individuals who were wrongly convicted have been exonerated and released. And that is through getting tips after these shows have been on. So through right. showing it in a factual way, there is genuine good things that can come from this. But I just feel like. There is a line that can be crossed when we stop appreciating that these are real people with real lives and these are real stories and real traumas. And the moment that line gets crossed, it becomes extremely irresponsible. And I just thought, Cecil Hotel, ditch it. Watch The Innocence Files. Yeah, no, I think so too. The uh, You would have heard uh, my friend, uh, the journalist Rachel Brown on this podcast yes. who did Trace. You know, it Trace is, is an amazing podcast. That's another one. Right. It is one of those things where, uh, you know, because she's a proper journalist and her friends who are journalists and they see the the true crime genre and getting lumped into that, it, it drives them insane because they don't want to be a part of uh, that uh, umbrella because exactly. what they're doing is factual and has, you know, months and months and months of research and is... You know, it, it's not sensationalist. Exactly. You know, they put together a story, but they don't, they don't, exactly. uh, you know, pump anything up just to get you, you know. They're not imagined the, characters. You're excited. And that's the yeah. thing. And I just think um, there is so much focus. Like, at the end of the day, I know Ted Bundy's name. 
I know the Night Stalker. I know like Charles Manson. And I mean, yeah. we might be able to um, like Sharon Tate, but other than that, name one of Ted Bundy's victims. Like, and I think that's the point. People, we don't focus on the victims. We don't focus on the people who trauma was helped. We sensationalize these serial killers and they yeah. shouldn't be. It shouldn't be about that. It shouldn't. I, I just think that we need to, if true crime is a genre you want to work in as a filmmaker or a writer or anything else, I think a certain level of responsibility comes with that and it needs to be respected. And I was super bothered by this and I thought it was worth talking about with you, Justin, or yeah, at least ranting no. at you. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's um, for everyone listening. Uh, it's the first morning of daylight saving, and <laughs> and uh, I uh, I wake up quite early, and there was a text message from you saying, "I'm ready to go." I was like, "Oh, okay." So <laughs> I am definitely awake. This is good. now you've come this on is, um, to be ranted at about Harry Styles and a Cecil yeah. hotel documentary. Uh, yeah, no, I'm all for it. Uh, the the Harry Styles stuff is amusing to me and the Cecil <laughs> stuff, that sounds awful. The, that was always the, the thing that took me a few days to kind of understand, but what eventually made me love the last Tarantino movie was that I'd known the Sharon Tate story all my life because mum was a fan of her. So I mm. knew the Charles Manson story. I knew the Sharon Tate story and the movie was the first time that I'd ever thought of her not as a murder victim. And I thought that was kind of like, I thought of her as a young actor who had everything ahead of her and had lived a life and had done things. And that's the thing. Yeah. There's, there's a level of responsibility taken with that storytelling that allowed me to think that way. Exactly. And I think that's the thing I I think it's forgotten a lot. Like we hear so many stories and if we do hear the victims, it's like 21 year old victim, like and some graphic description of how she was killed or something Mm. like that. And you go, that was a person with dreams and ambitions and everything. And all those got snatched away. Like it's that Mm. other aspect that they, these people were people like everyone else. And that was their trauma. And I just know that if my, a family member of mine or a friend of mine or something was this sort of fate befell them. I think that I would hate to think that we were diving into the life and times of Ted Bundy and not mm. um, like giving responsibility to their life. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was so bothersome to me that you would actively treat these. Like, I, I just don't believe there was any real mystery there. That's what bothered me because they took this, right. this documentary took this footage and they made it, she was, behaving in such a way that was so erratic, like she was being followed, like she was scared, she was hiding, she was jumping in and out of the elevator. And they made it like, oh, why was she behaving this way? Why was she doing anything? Yet she was having a medic episode. And the more they went on about it, the more you're going, yes, she's behaving. I'm no psychiatrist, but that looks exactly how I would expect somebody having a, a psychotic moment to be behaving. That is, she, yeah. there was nothing mysterious about it, and yet they continued on to go, stop playing this woman's last moments where she was clearly distressed. And it just felt like they were playing it to just hype it up, hype it up, hype it up. And you're going, there's no mystery here. Stop trying to look for a mystery. Let her rest in peace, you know. Learn mm. a lesson about ignoring the signs of mental health. Take this as a serious um, takeaway that, quite frankly, there was a duty of care owed by the hotel, owed by a lot of people who mm. could have intervened, and this could have been a very different story, but it wasn't. 
and that's yeah. I think that this needs to be treated as a tragic occurrence and learn from it. Don't keep on hyping up the sensationalism of it. And well, yeah, everything that you've told me, there's like half a dozen different takes that you could have made this a really interesting yes. and important story, but they lent into the, the you know the easy huh. sell of it, which is boring. And quote, and step one, maybe call her parents. Like, right. just to me, there is no way in living hell I would write that. Like, speak to the parents and how they want this, the story told. Speak to the yeah. parents about how, like, I just think that, and I don't know whether they ever reached out. I know that they didn't approve of it, but I don't know whether they reached out and there was a conversation. I haven't looked into that. But regardless, I hear of these stories all the time, and I'm not saying specifically this documentary, but a lot of the true crime genre, and it gets criticised a lot for that, where, well, I mean, just... I just think that I would not want to tell a story. There has to be a certain level of integrity in your filmmaking. I wouldn't want to tell yeah. a story if it was going to re-traumatize the family. I yeah. think, what are, what are you gaining? Um, well, what are you gaining? And obviously there is a, a lack of empathy when you go ahead exactly. with that kind of stuff. Exactly. Well, well the... The thing that I'm disappointed for everyone who's listening is that while you've been furious, there has been a picture of a delightful looking ice cream right above your shoulder. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm so actually, angry, but the, I the ice cream it, looks good. <laughs> I'll actually, um, this art uh, behind me, I'll take this opportunity to plug my friend Catherine Crone, find her on Instagram. This is her art. So. Oh, well, she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let her know. I'll uh, text her to let her know that all the way in Australia, she's making people hungry. So, yeah, absolutely making me hungry, especially first <laughs> thing in the morning. So, uh, what, what are you? Are you still delving into the uh, true crime area, or are you giving it a bit of a miss after that experience? I think, I think I've learned about more being responsible as a consumer. I think. Um, like I write for a travel magazine sometimes and I'm always preaching about how you need to look into um, like what, where you're spending your money and things like that when you travel, like especially in animal tourism and that, like where's the money going? Is it going back into communities, etc.? And I think maybe it's time for us to look into what we're giving our money to in regards to these genres as well. Maybe right. take five minutes to do a bit of a Google search and work out whether these things were made responsibly and what the story is telling. You know, like what, yeah, I think that maybe I and everyone else needs to have a little bit of free market work in there. <laughs> have the, yeah. Pay attention to what you're giving your money to and what you're giving your time to because in streaming culture, everything's available online. And while there's money in it, people will continue making it. And yeah, I just don't want to be, I personally don't want to be a part of an exploitative genre. So I think I'll be paying a little bit more attention. Right. There you go. That is the perfect place to end that. <laughs> I will continue watching the only true crime that I am addicted to, and that's True Detective, about that true story <laughs> about those. Anyway, it's two detectives. One's quite handsome, and it's uh, it's out there if people want to find it. Uh, it Rachel Melanta, you can be found on Twitter typing in capitals. <laughs> Please. Please follow me. I need more people to witness my breakdown. <laughs> It is truly remarkable. It is truly remarkable. I know exactly where your head is at every time I read a tweet. So uh, find you there. And you're on Instagram as well, aren't you? I'm on everything. You're on everything. All right. Stay sane. We'll chat soon. Do my best. 
next guest has been a friend of mine for a very long time. I've long admired this young man's chutzpah and demeanour, but most of all, he's just a really decent guy. His podcast, Confessions of the Idiots, is a really fun podcast to be a guest on, and I'd like to start getting him in here on a semi-regular basis as well. Welcome to Big Squid for the first time. It's Sam Peterson. First time on the podcast, Sam, I've been on yours a few times, and I have to tell you, while I was setting up the link for us, I was just flicking through Twitter, and I saw a question on that social media platform that made me laugh. And I thought, for people who might not know you, this might be a fun way to start off the podcast. Oh, wow. I need to also point out, I'll tell you what my answers were as well. I ended up giving three. Yeah. But some, this guy from at Angry Man TV, <laughs> he, uh, he wrote, you've been kidnapped. 30 minutes later, the kidnapper dumps you on the street because you won't stop talking about what? <laughs> Okay, yeah. That, That's a funny one, isn't it? It's a it? great one. Um, I think if anyone met me, they would go, I talk a lot of shit all the time, but mm-hmm. I think the big thing that people get sick of me talking about is reality TV. And Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is something I continually talk about in hope that someone will one day respond and go, oh, my God, I watch that all the time too. I've never had that response. I've yeah, never but heaps of people watch it. Heaps of people watch it, but I've never met anyone I guess in my circle, who will say the same yeah. thing back. So I would hope that I would do that in the kidnapping, hoping that he would turn around. He or she, you know, that could be, I don't know what gender this person who kidnapped me is, but they could turn oh, around yeah. and, go, and go, oh, my God, I watched that too. That, that was what my hope would be, right. but I kind of imagined that I would get kicked to the curb very quickly. All right, there's a few things that I really like about this. One is that you are gender-inclusive of who's kidnapping you. This is important. <laughs> you don't mind who it is? All people not can be psychopaths. That's what I'm saying right now. I think psychopaths... All people can kidnap. Yeah. Psychopaths come in many forms. I just read the John Ronson book. Psych, uh, it's called... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the... What is it called? The Psychopath, the psychopath Test. And right. I obviously didn't spend a lot of time reading the front cover. I delved right in of the title of the book. But yeah. but yeah, anyone can be a psychopath. So I'm very inclusive, Hamo, about who can be a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, that's very sweet of you, actually. But also, <laughs> when you're in this scenario, I think you kind of gave away a, a very important aspect of your personality, which is optimistic. Because I answered this, and because I, I feel like I'm pretty across the things that I'm annoying about. Like, I'm not saying I'm across all of it, because no one is, Mm. but I feel like I have an idea that (laughs) there's some things that people would be sick of me saying. (laughs) And, And these are the things that I reckon people would, you know pull over and just say get out yeah so I, I replied three times to this guy oh wow because <laughs> it was it made me laugh so much so it's like dot 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 and i don't care what you say i think bowie's music in the 90s was outstanding and while everyone thought he was done i was thoroughly enjoying his dot 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 so me talking about bowie's music in the 90s that would definitely have him dropping me on the curb yeah another one i'm telling you that even though it is a series that explores the theme of grief the leftovers is really funny and i really think you need to start with season one, not two, because you need all the backstory to appreciate, dot, dot, dot. That's definitely getting me uh, left on the curb. And then the other one was, if it was pronounced Lego, it would be double G. It is one G, hence Lego. Anyway, I just... (laughs) 
but what I like about yours is you are going to talk about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. And you're actually optimistic that your kidnapper's going to turn around and think, holy shit, I've been looking for you all my life. <laughs> that we could finally be friends and have a great friendship out of it. Because I don't know about you, Hammer, but I don't know any other friendship that started from a kidnapping. Like, I would love to be able to go... Paddy Hurst. Paddy Hurst, well, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you just ruined that whole thing for me, the hammer. Uh, no, but- I'm sorry. It's, just, it's only one. <laughs> no, but imagine if you and I were out for a drink and I say a friend's coming soon and you say that question, how'd you two meet? And I say, well, they're trying to kidnap me, but then I brought up Real Housewives of Melbourne and game was on. Real Housewives of Melbourne, sorry, or yeah. Real Housewives but Beverly Hills. Like, all of those are great. But I like as well how you would start a sentence with, I don't care what you say. Like oh, so, yeah. you would like I'm furious. Like, but they haven't even brought it up, and you're already furious. No. I don't care what you say. And it's also one of my favourite things when someone is binging something and they say you just have to push past the first thirty two episodes. Like someone oh, has yeah. the time to go. You just have to push past the first three seasons. They're quite dull. I understand where you're coming from, but if you get to the fourth season, if you want to spend three weeks of your life watching a show, if you get past that hurdle, you might enjoy it. That's kind of fine if you started with the series and it was okay enough and then it became brilliant, yeah. but it's no way to sell it. <laughs> Have you ever watched a series when someone's told you just – Ride the first three seasons. I've I've been told about Breaking Bad, so I've never seen Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. They're the they're the two shows that I completely missed out on. And Hamo, that is because one hundred percent, I do watch a lot of Real Housewives of Melbourne and Beverly Hills. So I am right. missing out on amazing scripted drama and an industry that I really care about as well. And instead, I'm watching these trashy reality shows but i was told before i started i was going to start breaking bad and someone did tell me you've just got to get past the first season you've just got to get past uh, the first yeah, season see- I reckon that person is overreacting. Okay. The first season's good. Yeah, right. Okay. It's like it's good. Yeah. And the, and the second season's really good. And then it and then it just keeps getting better and better and better. It's so it's like it's like watching, you know, Michael Jordan in his rookie year and then Michael Jordan at the peak of his powers. Yeah. It's like, ah, yeah, you know what? I like him now, but when he first started, it just Yeah. You just skip those years. You've got to like, get, no, he was still really good. Yeah, you've got to get past the first ten years of Michael Jordan's career to really sink yeah, your teeth so in. Really enjoy it, you know. <laughs> the I reckon they're two funny examples, Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. I reckon they're the inverse of each other. I think Breaking Bad starts pretty well and ends brilliantly and Game of Thrones kind of starts brilliantly and ends, you know, depending on your taste. Yep. Uh, not great, a little bit disappointing, average, or, oh, shit, my eyes. So... <laughs> It's a really interesting in thing, mind. though. There's there's lots of those shows that I kind of missed out on and never got into. Are there any shows for you that, that people always banged on about and you kind of never gave it the chance? Because then you have that thing as well of going, oh, I was missing out. When you finally watch it, you go, I was mm. actually depriving myself of this. Has there ever been a show oh, yeah. that you've put off? Um, and I'm really hoping you say Sea Change. But, you know, has there ever been a show that you've just put off for a very long time and never watched? That, that you got into. I, I'm, I'm still waiting for the perfect moment for Sea Change. 
So I'm, I'm holding off with that one. Like I'm, I'm saving it for a very special time in my life. You want to find out no, what you... goes on with Bucket in the end, what really happens. Hey, that, spoilers, mate. Like, come on. Like, I'm telling you. But the, uh, the, the series that I just missed for whatever reason, and I reckon it was around that period where free-to-air television, you might be a bit too young for this, but free-to-air television was really haphazard. So it, it, it used to show Sex and the City and The Sopranos on Channel 9. Right. But then they, but this was back when you would videotape and you'd have to set your timer <laughs> and I'd go out and do gigs and I'd come back and for some reason... The episode started half an hour later, so you only got half the episode. Oh. So you kind of, so, and it was just before DVDs as well. So the series that I completely missed was the West Wing, and people talked about the West Wing all the time. Mm. People I really respected, people I know who really loved it, and then I started watching it, and I got ten episodes in, and I was like you know what, this is really well made and well written and I can see why everyone really dug this. Mm. I feel like I missed the boat because you know what, when I was watching it, you know who was the president? It was Obama. Like the... The, the small little liberal dream came true, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, so I missed it. I should have been watching. I should have tried to rewatch it during the Trump era. You were so kind of annoyed. <laughs> you were annoyed that Obama yeah. was finally president and things were going quite well ah. for us. It, it is Mate, an, this is bullshit. <laughs> it is an interesting thing, though. I had the same with books. Like, I never, ever read uh, Harry Potter. I never got into Harry Potter, and maybe that yeah. was because when I was growing up, everyone said I looked like Harry Potter. Like, everyone was, like, <laughs> putting me in that hole of going, you're a guy with glasses and I had round glasses and like one time I went to movie world and people just went wow you clearly look like Harry Potter so in every part that I went into it was like Diagon Alley and someone would make me hold a wand and take a photo like it was just very much through the whole thing and so I read growing up I read instead of that I read Selby and I don't know if you know what Selby is but Selby's a talking dog Right. So I, I don't think I... Oh, it but, sounds kind of... I'm going to look it up while you're talking. By a guy called... It sounds familiar. Yeah, by a guy called uh, Duncan Ball, who wrote, who wrote, I think, about 14 Selby books. And it was kind of in my age bracket. And so while people were talking about Selby... Uh, sorry, sorry, about when people were actually talking about Harry Potter, I was talking about Selby. And so Harry Potter was the dominant thing. Selby was the very small offshoot that no one really read, especially in my, in my school, no one read it. And I was out for drinks a few weeks ago and I was chatting to one of my mate's girlfriends and we both started saying we never read Harry Potter and and they were like, because the cursed child was in Melbourne and we're both saying we never read Harry Potter. And I was like, what did you read instead? And she said, Selby. Oh. My lord. Oh my goodness. I was like, you've got to dump her because I now want to date this person. Like I was hundred yes. percent in. And that is kind of my You moment. should have taken her. <laughs> yeah. Well, too bad I wasn't so, in a hostage situation because that wouldn't have got me to yes. the curb. Imagine if the, the <sighs> hostage uh, no the hostage? No, the, the kidnapper. You're the hostage. I'm the hostage. The kidnapper yeah. had turned around and said, Oh my god, I used to li- I used to read Selby as well. That would be the moment. It's like you yeah, no wonder you're so optimistic about winning over a kidnapper because you've already experienced this. I've you're talking about moment. life. I've had that moment. So so I need to let you know I've looked up Selby. <laughs> I have no idea who Selby is. <laughs> there I was thinking that I had an idea. Yeah. And no one I knows. found no well, so I found a uh 
a page, like it's his official page, and there's some questions oh. that Selby answers about himself. <laughs> I, can, I, can I just read this to you? Well, gonna, this is my dream gonna, come true. Gonna, you have no idea. Mate, this is... Sorry if everything got a bit sexy for everyone listening. But, <laughs> You've uh, alienated every other listener, but I am 100% involved. Mate, this is great. So it says here, Selby is an amazing dog. He's the only talking dog in Australia and perhaps the world. He can understand and speak people talk, but is keeping it as secret in fear that his owner's Dr. and Mrs. Trifle yep. might put him to work. Oh, Selby's smart, Big isn't fan he? Of them. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's so smart. Um, yeah. And, you know, yes. he could make millions of dollars if this secret went out, but instead he's just like, I'm going to learn to surf and read in my spare time and yep. in secret. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, no. What a smart dog. He's also afraid that if his secret got out, he might be dognapped. What is there seems to be a theme in this podcast. <laughs> or just turned into a celebrity and never have any peace and quiet. Oh, Selby. Yeah. Like Selby Selby doesn't want the fame. He wants the he quiet want the life. fortune. Yeah, the quiet life Mate. of Selby. Ah, he is determined to keep his ability to talk a secret, even if it kills him. Wow, Selby. (laughs) And in many of the stories about him, it almost does. Selby rings Duncan up and tells him his unbelievable adventures, and Duncan just writes them down. Nothing could be easier or more fun. There's a warning. Selby's stories are highly addictive. Read one, and you may have to read them all. Is that what happened to 100%. you? Are you hooked on Selby? I was, yeah. I had to detox for a while after after my twelfth birthday because, <laughs> oh my goodness, it was so funny though. Because I was even like to to this person, I was like, "What was your favourite one?" At the same time, we both said Selby speaks because that was the original, and it was one of the best books. And I contacted Duncan Ball. So two things here: I contacted Duncan Ball to say what a big fan I was and I never read Harry Potter and Duncan Ball actually wrote back and said, you're probably the only person in the world. Not right. I've now found one other person. But also, I was also a big fan when I was growing up of a guy called Franciscus Henry who a lot of people don't know who he is, but he was basically the Wiggles before the Wiggles. And I was his number one fan for for years like i was just like this guy's the best when he came to philip island me and my friends biggest fan ever and but i always thought that his name was hans christian anderson this is not a joke i always thought his name was hans christian anderson because he once sung a song called i'm hans christian anderson and i took him at his word and said why would he lie to us and i actually got to meet him and he said he came to a stand-up show of mine and I recognised him and started chatting to him. And then he said to me, I also sung a song called I'm a Big Dinosaur. Did you think I was a dinosaur as well? Like, just the funniest guy. He ended up performing at my 21st. And he came out. There was a song he sung called Bugs and Beetles in My Garden. Oh, what horror. Oh, what dread. And he hits one on the head as he's walking around. And Dilruk Jaya Singer was one of the Beatles in the garden. And Dill did not grow up in Australia. <laughs> Dill had no idea know. Who, who, who Franciscus was, but I've never seen someone have a better time in their life than Dill on that night. And Dill saw him at a festival recently and sent me a selfie. I'll send it to you. And it is the most oh. wholesome shot. And Dill always brings up Franciscus Henry. 
And Dill's one of my best friends, and he continually brings up that my 21st was one of the best nights that he ever had because this random kids' entertainer was there singing about bugs and beetles and being Hans Christian Andersen and being a dinosaur as well. It was one of the funniest things. But these alternative people, Hamo, I was way more into them than... Yeah, I was so alternative and on the rock scene, such an alternative rocker. It's I'm still getting over that he sang a song called I'm Hans Christian Andersen and then you'd like if you met John Lennon you would have been like Eggman <laughs> it's the Eggman here he is bloody Eggman everybody I, look at old Eggy uh, <laughs> I was just such a such a big fan of his like it was so funny like and being in that thing when you go as a child if I knew that I was going to meet you one day my mind would have just exploded like, right. I, and I'm sure it's been the same for you over the years when you've met people that you just like. There is. Oh, sorry. Do you mean me? Yeah, you. You exactly. You. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were still talking about the children's entertainer. <laughs> you are no. a children's entertainer to me. You are. Thank you. And you always. That will is be. nice. Yeah. But when you meet people and you go, oh wow, like you know, if you a, a, a kids entertainer is, or even when you're an adult. It's still yeah. a kid's entertainer in your mind. You've got all those memories about that person yeah. and your mind goes back to, like, me in One Thaggy Art Centre. little plug for One Thaggy. Yeah. One Thaggy Art Centre going, <laughs> oh, my God, he got out of the bed. He was The bed was there when we walked in, Hamo, and then he gets out yeah. of the bed when the show starts. And I was like, Franciscus, were you in that bed the whole time? And he goes, for <laughs> an hour. And one an night. Hour. One night. Um, he was. It was such a comfortable bed. He actually fell asleep as the show started. Amazing. And the show started, and somewhat the stagehand had to actually go and wake him up. That's so funny. <laughs> That's it's a perfect place to fall asleep, though. Everyone will just think he's you know yeah. really dedicated to the art of acting, <laughs> but. That's that is so good. By the way, at our last live Big Squid show, yeah. Murray from the Wiggles was there, yeah. and he is a delight. Like, what a nice man he would be. And he is he's in a band now, isn't he? I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head, but he's in a he's in a band now. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. You know what? We spent so much time talking. I was I was really curious about who the craziest people he'd met backstage. Yeah. And he'd met, like, Shaquille O'Neal. Like, Shaquille, and Murray's big. You know, he's a big guy. Yeah. And he said he's got a photo of him with Shaq, and his Shaq's hand is on his shoulder, and his fingers go all the way down to his waist. <laughs> like, he's massive. That's amazing. <laughs> but Murray, oh. I, I was a big fan of Murray, and, and, and Anthony um, Fields, who's uh, the Blue Wiggle, also seems like an yep. amazing person. Um, Greg yeah. Greg was always my favourite, but any you know the Wiggles like playing out. I think they sold out Madison Square Garden four they nights. Did. Is that true? Yeah. Four nights. Yeah. Did he say maybe it was four? Like uh, I thought he may have said three. Oh, Either yeah, way, yeah. whatever. Oh. One is impressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like multiples. Yeah. Like he was just telling me stories about you know you, you get backstage and there's Robert De Niro or there's like. James Hatfield from Metallica in the in the front row, big fan, and then they did a little, you know, like a, a funny little Metallica yeah. parody, and he's just there with his hands up oh. doing the devil symbol, head banging, like so funny, so funny, and so so even the story, like when you hear about how 
how they always do the the finger guns is because you know they never wanted to have their hands near anyone they were photographed with. So the handguns right. in every photo is actually just so everything was above board and you could actually see where everything was at every time because they were just terrified of anyone misconstruing anything about them. So everything right. about them, they're such smart business people as well, which is just incredible. And I will tell you an amazing story after we finish recording about Franciscus that he told me, which is just the most insane story and everything about a children's entertainer went out the window and I went, oh, you're just a regular human being. Like, it's so funny when you go, oh, yeah, so you would have stayed in one baggie that night. And he goes, yeah. And my mind was just like, That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) In fact, that happens for a lot of people. I'm like, that does not make sense to me. Jeez, if if Robin Thicke had the power to go back in time, he would take the wiggles with him and teach him the finger guns. (laughs) Because do you remember, do you remember, like, he hit big with blurred lines. And then the, the wheels of his fame started to come off very quickly when there was a photo taken of him with that fan mm. and then if you looked behind them there was a mirror and you could see his hand right on her ass wow. and kind of a little bit further oh. and that was the beginning oh he could have taken a note well. from from the wiggles i think everybody can Mate, listen to murray listen to murray get, get the finger guns out <laughs> i'm right. gonna get that tattooed so, on me hammer i think we should get matching tattoos listen to murray <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I feel like that's a really good uh, way to approach life. So, look, I've got some questions about Selby. So, yep. I want to find out how well you know. Oh, yeah, your it's favorite been little such pal. a long time. I, I, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think I'm going to get any of these correct. No, no, no. It, it's it's it doesn't mean you're not a fan. Yeah, no, no, no that's right. It's yeah, just, if Duncan Bowles was a huge yep. fan, huge. If JK's yep. listening, right. not impressed. Yeah, whatever. Right, whatevs. you had your time in the sun. <laughs> okay, do you know Selby's full name? No. Nah. Selby Aloysius Trifle. <laughs> Do you know what breed of dog Selby is? Always thought he was a Kelpie. Right. He's a bitzer. A bit of this and a bit of that, Selby. Little sense of humour. That's kind of correct. Uh, Selby is good. Good gift coming from Selby. Do you know how old he is? I thought that he was, well, I mean, it depends what series of the book we're talking about, but I would say that he was four. He is 10, and he's 10 for every birthday. That's all right. Is he really? He nailed that. Always stays 10. Every birthday. Always stays 10. Oh, good on him. Good on, Salpy. He says 10. Every birthday I turn 10 again. I don't know why. Do Do you know what the worst thing about Salpy is? Well, I, I'm guessing um, some sort of he some sort of odor issue. Um, Selby stinks was one of the titles of the book. Maybe it's something to do with oh, his really? odor. Yeah, uh, tough times for Selby. <laughs> no, he doesn't know how to swim. He says I'm the only non-swimming dog in Australia and perhaps the world. There is one book uh, where he surfs. Hamo. Oh, so we can surf. He can surf, but he can't swim. Yeah, well, isn't that typical of Selby? Like, he just gets out on the board, uh, he, dog paddles out there, he, comes in. He runs before he can crawl. The water. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know the town he lives in? No, nah, no idea. It's a country town. It's it's called Bogusville. <laughs> <laughs> He's Selby. very creative, isn't he? <laughs> so, this is, um, mm-hmm. this is fascinating. His favourite food. 
favorite food? I thought it was some sort of dessert. Yes, it is kind of a desserty. Well, kinda. Oh. Yeah, no. Nah. Let me put it this way: you, uh, Selby, is quite clearly not anaphylactic. It is peanut prawns cooked by Phil Philpot at the Spicy Onion Restaurant. <laughs> so I get zero I mean, points. There's zero points for me. What a great game. Imagine if this was my specialty topic on hard quiz. Well, you do it like in in your complete defence, I have hit you with all of these, you know, Selby questions. <laughs> um, and, oh, well, okay, we'll finish on this one. What's his favourite thing to say when he's in trouble? Well, he doesn't say anything because he keeps it very quiet. Well, I must say it to himself. Oh, whoops Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, it's Selby. good stuff, you, huh? Good stuff from it Selby. It is good stuff. Whoa, whoa. Why is there not, why is there not a seven or eight part Selby series? I don't know. I don't know why it didn't take off in the same way. You know, now now yeah. you're reading it back and you go, what a world that he created. Bogus filler, was it? Like, what an amazing world. Yeah. Much like J.K. Rowling series where she created this whole universe. Yeah. So did Duncan Bowl. Just very, much yeah. smaller. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'd. Who would you get to play him in the movie? I'd get Andy Serkis. Oh, get the CGI guy. One hundred percent. Yeah, just the voices yeah. alone. Like, yeah, I would. I always kind of imagined he was quite, quite had a very young sort of. Um, and I was thinking uh, the actor Stephen Curry could have done a, a great job. Oh, I was yeah. always imagining yeah. the actor Stephen Curry doing that role. But I mean, Andy yes. should. I think they should both audition. Yeah. I don't think we should just give and- it to anyone. No, like, and when you say audition, you mean we get a pool stick, we crack it in half, we yeah. leave one half on the floor, whoever gets to it first, yeah. it's they a- obviously get to play the role. It's always a fight mentality. <laughs> yeah, of course. What are we? <laughs> are we not men? <laughs> uh, oh, man, that's so funny. It's, uh, it's looking back on uh, the things that you liked as a kid and just being absolutely flabbergasted when something doesn't connect with someone else. Like I remember just trying to explain Winky Dink, who was a a, a puppet duck on Adelaide TV. And was he specifically Adelaide? Was he like, I think it was, yeah. And he was with, uh, I think it was Robin and Wendy on the show. (laughs) No, no, Robin, Robin Thick was nowhere. Uh, he wasn't allowed anywhere near that show <laughs> with his with his wandering hands. Like Winky Dink's only five. Like stop it. Um, but no, the show was called. And you know when you're a kid and you don't realise something's funny, and then you become a teenager and it's the funniest thing ever. The show was called Come On Kids. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Come on, kids. It was. Yeah. Was Come it C U M? No, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be so funny if it was, and you only realised that as a teenager. Wait a minute, hold oh, on. I, this all makes. I've sense. been reading this as. Wow. I've been reading this as cute. Yeah, <laughs> that's so anyway. funny. Come on, kids. Wow. Yeah, that's a. So you you were 
alternative in your children's entertainment? Were you alternative in your uh, taste and everything else, or did you go a little bit mainstream with movies? I've or? never, I've never been a mainstream person with anything, and it's always, I think it's always surprising for friends of mine to understand my taste because I, I never ever have liked anything that people are into. Like I, I love watching things with people. My favorite movie mm. of all time is King of Comedy. Um, my I have the weirdest taste of like all of my friends really like but then you know I say I say this and then one of my favorite comedians in the world is Judith Lucy like I I I, right. I do have I I know I think I just have a different idea in my head with movies and TV shows of what what is good and what I get the most out of so Mm. For me, it was King of Comedy, then uh, TV shows. My favourite TV show of all time is the Larry Sanders show. Uh, my taste is always... Like, I bring up the Larry Sanders show to people and they go, what is that? Yes. Like, most people that I know have not heard of the Larry Sanders show. Yeah. Now, that was free-to-air television. Was it really? Back in the day. Yeah, that's how I saw it. Oh. I saw it on, I forget what channel it was, but that's how I used to watch it. Like back when free to air television yeah. had a bit of variety to it. Well, Stan, Stan had it on there for about a hot minute. Like I was watching the second series on there and they pulled it down as I was watching it. So they, oh, they, no. they must have seen that one person in Australia was watching it and they pulled it as I was watching it. So, yeah, I think it just froze and then I went back and it wasn't there anymore. And they're, they're, oh, they're pro- probably waiting for me to stop watching it so they could take it down, but it never yeah, happened. So. Oh, just cut him off. Just cut him off. Just cut him off. Just cut him off. Mate, we've been here three days. Yeah. Just cut him off. Yeah. The, uh, that was the first TV show where I'd seen people, I'm not saying it was the first that did it, but I don't know of any other shows that did this where the uh, actors played versions of, of themselves and that was it was right at the height of my love of David Duchovny in the X-Files <laughs> yeah. and him Being just constantly, oh, like so funny. So funny. Like, and it felt really, really audacious to play yourself in that way. Mm. And be in love it, with the host of the show. Like, oh, and him being weirded out by it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not reciprocated. <laughs> it was so funny. It's just, there are those sorts of shows that come along and I don't think there's been anything as clever as that. Like, I mean, even the way that they shot it, like thinking about moving from film as well and, and the way they shot everything was just so beautiful and and that they decided not to go with the highest quality film to actually shoot the show. It was yeah. to actually go with an aesthetic that they were... They were going with and to make it a little bit grittier than normal. I mean, you know, Frontline did it in Australia where they did... Not Frontline. uh, Oh, goodness. What's the... Well, the Frontline. It was Frontline. So... Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. I was right with you. Then you said it wasn't Frontline. I thought, oh, I don't know what TV show yeah, he's no, talking no, about. Line. No, yeah, it was Frontline. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the show with Mike Moore, uh, you know, the, yeah. the Working Dog Mate, it was kind of a similar a similar show style and the, and the overall aesthetic that they used for it was was incredible you know i've never said aesthetic oh, yeah. this much in my life but i mean it was a, it was a it was a great <laughs> it was a great way to see something you know like that and i'm usually into documentaries or reality tv so for me i have to really get into it and and larry sanders show time and time again was was what i loved and 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 music wise i've never I've never really loved a band. Like, really? I've never been into a band 
ever. Like I love music. Or- I love I love my my playlists are all over the place. It's lots of Fleetwood Mac and there's all these different elements that go together, but it's always songs and not necessarily a, a band. I've never gotten into just one person and and said they're my be all and end all, which is why I, you know, I at music festivals as well, they were kind of my element to go and see ten, you know, ten bands instead of just one, because yeah, you know, right, <laughs> my interest would always wane, and I'd always go, what what do I want to listen to? today or you know or at home i'm always going what do i want to watch today like promising young woman you know was down at so a cinema right near me that's just opened up i can actually go there now and just watch that and then the next day i'll be watching road trip with um with eric andre and 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 it's so diverse what i like that you know i i find that i have to watch most things by myself because <laughs> i don't have many friends that will go on that journey with me of of, right. of of seeing what I'll be into that week and trying something new. Yeah, that's. I don't think it's a bad thing actually. The when you went to concerts, did you stick around for a whole set, or would you be like halfway through the set think, "Yep, got a taste of that." Yeah, let's no, go and I, see something else. I'd, I'd stick around for the whole set, but there, you know, but. That was the beauty, I think, of, of music festivals. Is you go, oh, you know, you can see them for you can see them for an hour, and then go, oh, I'm going to move on to something else. You know, like, uh, it, like comedy festival. Like when I used to do stand up, I was always like, you know, showcase nights would be great because you get <laughs> the best bit of everybody. You know, you just get the yep. best bit of everybody. And then unless I really was 100 percent invested in that person, going to see them for an hour. Like an hour is just such a long time unless you're like 100% into the person. And I always go, when you don't look at your watch during the show, it's an amazing show. That's always my benchmark of anything. I always go, if I didn't look at my watch, like during a film or anything, then it's like the most gripping thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're seeing something of quality. Yeah, I'd, I'd get frust- uh I start to get a little bit freaked out when I go and see certain comedians that I know can potentially do a really long set. Like, I don't mind if I go and see an hour show and it comes in at mm. maybe 70. But if I'm at the 75-minute mark and I know the person on stage has the potential, if there's nothing on after them, to build out another hour and a half, I start to get really dry in the mouth. Yeah. My leg gets twitchy. I'm like, ah, yeah, ah yeah, gotta yeah, go, yeah. gotta go. Anyone with sticky <laughs> that's feet. Why, yeah, well, that's why even when even when I've done shows like the John Tilde Animal shows, even though they're three shows, they're, they're 45 minutes each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Get in, hit hard, get out, yeah. and uh, change up the rhythm a little bit. Yeah. But- well, you know the end and you know the structure where sometimes, like, you know, I, I love Ross Noble and I've been to see so many mm. Ross Noble shows where the show is like two hours, sometimes two and a half mm. hours. You just don't know the end point. And yeah. in his head, I don't think he really 100% knows either. So it's just like sometimes you know, I've seen I've seen three-hour comedy shows and I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot. To laugh for that long that, is a lot. Yeah, that's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to do that. I don't know if I'm enough of a fan of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so was Judith Lucy your gateway to the Australian comedy scene? Uh, Judith Lucy, Fiona Lachlan, and Will Anderson were my three. Um, yeah, my three. I, because I was I grew up on Phillip Island. Uh, the gala was the only way that I saw comedians. So it was yeah. only the gala every year, and. Uh, 
and I, I, yeah, I always thought I could never ever meet any of those people because I would just be too starstruck all the time, and I wouldn't be able to talk to them and have a normal conversation with them. Uh, they were one of my friends told me that they were in the city once, and they saw Judith Lucy walk down the steps of Town Hall. Did not believe him. I thought right. that I thought that was such a lie. Right. I was like, Judith Lucy does not walk down the steps of Town Hall. When I right, she glides. Well, yeah, when I when I was ten years old, I wrote a letter to Channel Ten, and I had um, said to them, I wrote a letter to them, and I said that they need to make a show called Just Jude, and it needs to be a sitcom about Judith Lucy, and oh. they no idea. I had no concept. I was 10 years old. I had no concept. I just told them that there needs to be a show about Judith Lucy because I don't understand why no one had done it. And I sent them a letter and the nicest person wrote back and I would love to meet that person now and just say thank you because it was such a kind thing to do. Like I know that I would do that for someone. If I knew that a 10-year-old was writing to me about something, I would 100% react the same. But it was so rare, I think in my mind now, just to go, you know, the person would have been maximum 30 writing back to me going, yeah, that is such a wonderful idea. Thank you for sending us this. We'll definitely have a think about it. It's so wonderful that you care about Judith enough to write this to Channel 10. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, they probably got an intern to write back. I don't know. Maybe it's Glenn Robbins. Pardon? Maybe it was Glenn Roberts. Maybe it was Glenn Roberts. Yeah, it was just such a <laughs> such a thing to to you know to have that and and you know when I when I started doing stand up the you know I, I just thought about you know Judith Lucy Will Anderson and 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 Fiona Lachlan were the three big ones but then as I got involved I found out who Greg Fleet was and I saw him do stand up for the first time and I was like oh he's very good and you know and then I started to meet people like Dave Callan and you and all these people that I was like oh wow like just because I hadn't grown up watching them all the time I was still like oh my god there's a whole new world out here that's you know in Melbourne it's a it's a it's a it's a scene that that didn't exist on on you know on the gala once a year on mm. on on channel 10 which was amazing to see that a whole new world existed out there that was even better than you thought existed because we we had yeah. we had um uh Peter Hallier would come to the the Western Port Hotel down on Phillip Island once uh, a year. Um, you know, there, there weren't that many comedians that came to Phillip Island and my parents would take me to go and see the show because I was just like, oh, like they were just so excited that I was excited in something. And Yeah, great. And, and you know, because and I grew up in a, quite a dysfunctional household as well, they were just so excited that I was passionate about something outside of where I was because I kind of just wanted yeah. to go and experience that. You know, um, I think they were worried that I get into drugs and everything, but like, you know, like I think they were like, "Well, this is a weird lifestyle," but you know, but it was a, it was just a, a way. It was kind of an escape for me watching comedy and, and being like, you know, not at home. Like, you know, like it was just that thing of being so excited about watching a stand-up show. And and when I stopped doing stand-up this year at the comedy festival in Melbourne, that that buzz hasn't gone away. And there was there was a point where I was um, at Comedy Republic one night, and all these comedians were talking to me, and I was like, "If I had known that that would happen when I was 
12 or 13 or 14, I, it would have blown my mind to be like, yeah. oh, these people actually know my name and, and, and I used to do this. You know, like it's, it's, so, yes. it's still so insane to me that, that, you know, that you know who I am or, or that, you know, there's all these people that I look up to that I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I know these people and, and it's, 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 um, it's, it's really refreshing, I think, for anyone that, that, you know, that kind of feels that they're a bit, um, that their, their home life is very unhappy when they're growing up. And then you don't think sometimes that there's a way out. And and I was always homesick when I was at home, like looking for a looking for a way out and looking for looking for something else. And then you know when you run away with the circus and and start doing comedy, you're it can be very hard. But but when you're in it, you're you know you're one hundred percent in it, and it's the it's the mm. most exciting thing to 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 be involved in. And 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 it's it's still nice to this day, you know. And even though I'm not one hundred percent in it, it's still nice to be in that environment and see see people still around you're underestimating uh, a little part of that though which is you're not just known by these people you're you're liked by these people and you work with these people so you're not you're not just known no 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 you're a part of it do you know what i mean it's like yeah you work with a lot of uh interesting people and you've worked with a lot of uh you know Pretty big names at different points of their career yeah. uh, throughout your career. And that's cool. And it's good to remember, I reckon. I think it's really good to remember the excitement of it because it's very easy once you're in it for a while and it's not as shiny as it used to be or it's or it, every scene goes through stages. And when your scene is kind of bit full of arseholes and just not kind of finding its way forward yeah. and is a bit bubbling with resentment. It's really uh, it's really important to remember why you got into it and what you're trying to achieve because if you don't, that's when the bitterness can kind of get into you as well. Yeah, yeah. And you and don't need that. No, and you, you do see it with a lot of people. Like there is, you know, there there are moments I think in in so many people's careers where I've seen them – just become bitter and and angry, mm. uh, and it was always a, a. It's never a shock, but you you kind of there are sometimes. I remember when one of our mutual friends, who everybody loved, had a had a really big hit, and I was just I could not believe it. Like I was more excited than them. I was just right. like, this is so great. And I remember just looking around and seeing so many people were annoyed and angry and it just changed so quickly and I was like oh that that's so much that's that's just such a different reaction than I had and that it was mm. suddenly this toxic thing and this this angry thing and people were annoyed all of a sudden and I was like oh why are you annoyed this is the best thing in the world like there's so yeah. many slices of this pizza we can all have a slice it doesn't mean that just because one person got this that none of us will have a chance like but you know that's the that's the thing that I sometimes think that I, I've seen it happen to so many people, and I've certainly been with comedians that you know have maybe been out of their. I, I, I guess they'd had a moment where everything was wonderful and everything was a successful thing, and then you end up working with comedians that had that moment. Sometimes yeah. a lot of a lot of moments, and then all of a sudden they haven't got that anymore. And then they become really bitter at all the people that have still got it. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, you, it's important to kind of be able to keep an eye on yourself and keep an eye on your career and try and yeah. kind of reinvent yourself as you go along. Because I think, I think even if you don't really change and you just keep doing exactly what you've been doing, I wonder if I'm not like I'm thinking this through at the moment. I wonder if the paranoia and the, and the bitterness, because even successful people can get bitter. Yeah. I wonder if that's because you're never changing. There's always in the back of your head at some point you're going to get found out. Yeah. And it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think if you keep changing and you keep adding, uh, you know, other skill sets that you can use, then. I think you feel pretty relaxed, actually. Yeah, like, that's what happened to me last year. The I went from really hating working on TV. Like I just every TV experience I'd had, e- even the best one was fine. You know, just fine. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm glad that was done. Yeah, let's move on. But weirdly, in in Sydney last year, there was a. Uh, you know, because they had to move shows from Melbourne, etc., and whole uh, companies had to uh, uproot, and some people couldn't leave home for that long, and all of that kind of stuff. And I was asked to go and work at the Chase and work with. You. So, do you know how the Chase works? I don't. I don't know how it works. No. So, so you have your four contestants, and they go up against this person who's called the Chaser, and that person's really good at quizzes, and like a Stephen Hall type, the master of the quiz. Master of the quiz, yeah. but they're all characters as well. Like there's the right. shark and there's the super nerd and, and it's and it's kind of fun and it's, you know, it's family entertainment. And so I work with those guys. I work specifically with each one. I keep them sharp with the quizzes. And then when the host is talking to the contestants, I sit there and try and come up with different style jokes for each uh, for each chaser to go out and deliver their line. And each person works differently. Like I've worked with Matthew Parkinson from The Empty Pockets. Wow. And it is a, it is a thrill because yeah. that guy is great. He's a super smart guy. He's still as funny as ever. And that's just, you know, a lot of fun. But then when I'm working with uh, Issa, who is the super nerd, you know, he's a little bit more laid back and he's like, no, 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 you just write whatever you want to write and I'll, I'll say it. You know, he's very lovely and gentle. And... It was just this really good thing where it's like, oh, I've just added this new skill set to what I do, which is I've always done this with live shows, but now in the TV context, now I'm producing. And it it really kind of relaxed me. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, now I have this. So then when something comes up and says, hey, do you want to be a guest on this? I was like, nah, but I'd like to work behind the scenes and produce it because then I can go and do my stand-up, which is for me. Yep. And I can do my podcast, which is for me, and then I can just apply a skill set to this. And all you need to do is the job. You don't have to be married to it. You don't have to be emotionally invested in it because that's what you do with your stuff. Mm. And and you're good at it because you have all these years. But yeah. if I'd just been doing straight stand-up, I think I would have been, you know, I think this year would have been really full on because all I would have been doing is getting out on the road, doing the festivals, doing as many gigs as I possibly could and trying to build up some collateral to, uh, you know, pay off last year. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is it, when you only do one thing, I think sometimes it can become a little bit, it can, it can become really tough. I remember when I was just mm. doing stand up and 
some nights, you know, you would have a really rough night and it would be mm. it would be brutal and you would like a lot of nights, you know, you would get no laughs, you'd be to backpackers, you know, nothing against backpackers, but little bit. Um no, there you know, there were there were sometimes when you were doing it to a room full of people that English was not their first language, you'd be doing it you get nothing or you'd be in a pub where people were just trying to enjoy their meal and then all of a sudden oh, yeah. it would be tap, tap on the microphone. Comedy's coming up in five minutes and no one likes surprise <laughs> comedy. You know, like no one likes that. No Nobody. one enjoys that. No one wants comedy added to their night. And so it was, you know, it was always rough. And, and a lot of times I had to remind myself like – you know, 14-year-old Sam would love this. Like, 14-year-old Sam would would think this is the most amazing thing in the world. But then as when I I stopped doing stand-up, I stopped because I realised that I wanted to do a million other things. And all of those things would be taken away if I I continued doing stand-up at the amount and level I was doing it at. Like, that was my focus. And and then – all of a sudden you go, you know, I, I go now, podcasting is that fun thing that I do on the side, but I produce stuff, I make films, I make I make all this stuff and and am a producer and, and, and that stuff is so important. But then it's so nice mm. to go, oh, I'm still kind of in the comedy world because, you know, I'll speak to Hamo tonight or, you know, tomorrow I'll speak to Josh Earl or, you know, like there's that stuff yeah. where I go, oh, wow, like it's still... It's still there, and it's more exciting when it's a when it's sugar on top rather than a a focus and a, a a main a main focus point. I just did a podcast just before with um, performer Scott Brennan, and I think he is one of the funniest. I love oh, him man. so much. Like I love him yeah, so much, Scotty. and he's he's the quickest, funniest person in the world, and he doesn't perform as much anymore he doesn't do that as much and it was an enjoyment thing for him and i don't want to tell his story but it was Mm. i will uh no but it was it was an enjoyment (laughs) thing for him where he just went yeah i i love doing all these other things he became a producer he'd started doing things Mm. behind the scene and i look at him and go if you're that funny and that talented same with you hamel if you're that good at what you do and you still do other things and find more enjoyment in that. I think there's something very powerful about that, you know, and, and so inspiring for me because I did stand up for so long and I loved it, but I looked at it and I go, oh, but I, you know, there's so many other things that I know I could be good at and I just need and to put that. Well, you, the problem with stand up for me was. Not, not that there was any kind of major problem, but you you want to try and tell different types of stories and you want to be able to express yourself in different ways. And there is a compact with comedy, which is there's going to be some jokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you really have to pepper those jokes in. You really do. You have to put them in. You have to. You really do. Legally, you have to. You can't call it a stand-up comedy show and not bring any jokes. You're not allowed. But, <laughs> so that's that's where my attention started to waver. It's it's not dissimilar to yours where you just think, oh, I just want to tell this type of story and I don't want to have to mould it into a stand-up routine to be able to give it life. But, but by the way, also, when one of the things that we need to point out is when we talk about having bad gigs a it doesn't happen that often but b invariably the reason you have a bad gig is and people love these stories 
and w- the thing we always forget to point out is the gig was terrible. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know what you said about no one likes a surprise comedy gig? Like, that is like one of the greatest facts of stand-up comedy history. Mm. Like, have you ever seen uh, the Duncan Jones movie Source Code? No. So it's a movie where Jake Gyllenhaal is a soldier who can jump back in time to a uh, to a place on a train and he's trying to stop a bomb going off and every time he fails he can jump back and you know try and stop this bomb from going off it sounds and great bought- like that Batman film with Adam West where he's got the bomb and he's going to throw it yes, and he has to throw it at right. an exact moment but then there's ducks yes. and there's nuns <laughs> oh, and the nuns mate it's the, he's he's my third favorite batman of all time uh, <laughs> but the thing is is that I bought that whole film and I was right into it. And at the very end, there's a moment where they're all on the train and it's daylight and a comedian gets up and it's played by Russell Peters and a guy gets up and he just starts telling jokes and everyone's having a good time. And I looked at that scene and went, no, that wouldn't happen. I bought everything else, but that guy is not standing up on that train in daylight (laughs) doing surprise comedy and everyone's having a good time. Oh, absolutely not. Like, for for people (laughs) having a night out, there is absolutely no fucking thing worse. I was telling a friend the other night, there was a night that I did, Hamo, and it still makes me... I still wake up in a cold sweat about it. But someone okay. contacted me about doing their trivia night and I would be the surprise comedy in the middle, right? Oh. And it was a trivia night. They were loving their trivia. And the guy said, just rock up. I can't make it tonight. But just, well, I'll introduce you. You get up in the middle when they have a break and you'll do your comedy then. I was like, okay, great. I was sitting at the bar and then... They just stopped in the middle and I went, oh, this is when I'm meant to get up. But in my head, I was so, you know how you are before a gig sometimes. I was like, I was thinking about my set too much and I didn't go, oh, wait, they haven't introduced you. Absolutely don't get up. I decided in that moment, I'll just get up. And so I must have looked like some drunk from the bar that had just picked up a microphone and went, hey, everybody, great to be here. And they're like, why is it great to be here? You're just some random guy. And I did stand up for 15 minutes and I knew I was getting paid 15 minutes. So I did 15 minutes of comedy. And I look back on it now and I (laughs) I did not get any laughs. I did not get anything, of course. People were just very confused. There were people that were going to the toilet and then looked around and saw me and were just confused. I was confused, but, you know, I was getting paid to do 15 minutes. So, of course, you're going to do 15 minutes. You're a professional. What a pro. But I was looking back on that now going, I must have just looked like a crazy person. Like, I must have just looked Mm. like... Like, like like part of the trivia and the answer that night was sadness and regret. Like I, I just yes. looked like the weirdest person that got up and did that. And I messaged the guy after it and I was like, oh, like they didn't introduce me, but I just got up and he's like, I forgot to tell them that you were on. Oh, that is <laughs> just, wow. And so I wasn't meant to be on, but I did it anyway. No. Right. And I remember you, going. You were booked. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember going to a gig straight after that because I had two gigs that night and I remember going, if this second gig isn't good, you know, it was that thing just going, yeah. this next one has to be really good because that last was it? one, it was, it was really good. But I was, but I think I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know, I, talking to people before and, you know, you get backstage and 
all the comedians are there and it was just like talking about that gig and everyone was shuddering and changing their body shapes and yeah. you know like it was yeah. everyone felt that you know that wasn't just me feeling that that night oh man that is so amazing <laughs> <laughs> that is so good that is one of the uh better awful gigs like <laughs> That you weren't meant to get up is great. You, it could have been worse, though. You could have done the good one first and then done the shitty one second. I've done that at too many festivals where you do your show and then you go and do a gala and you're feeling really good about yourself and you do a late show and so someone says, there's another late show on. Let's go to that. And you go, yeah, because like, comedy's great. And then you do that fourth one and you go, you know what? I had three good ones. Why didn't I just hang out with my friends and go to bed? Yeah. Why have I come to this shit Yeah, gig? This is awful. You've got to do that stand-up thing of leaving on a high. Always leave on a high. Absolutely. Don't, don't wait it well, out. A, a skill that uh, many of us uh, fail to exhibit. Now, I need to let you know, uh, we were going to chat for 20-ish minutes and we were going to oh, talk shit, yeah. about Hugh Grant. Mm. And we have gone, at this precise point, at about 56. And let's save Hugh Grant for next time. Okay, I'm, fantastic. I'm, uh, because I'm a big Hugh Grant fan as well, oh, and yeah. he's always been like a. For a while, he was a little bit of a a, a naughty uh, secret that I had a, of loving Hugh Grant. Yeah, and then, and then, it's just I feel like it's just kind of fine now, isn't it? It's just kind of fine to say how good's Hugh Grant. I think I think there was he's just back. a time. Yeah, there was a time when you couldn't say it, but now he's all I watch when I'm sick. He's all like you know. So let's definitely right. talk about it because I'm. There are six films that I go to all the time, and we can talk about them next time because I am obsessed with you, Grant. Like, he is my go-to every time. No, I totally respect that. Now, where can people find your podcast? And you also have a live show coming up in Melbourne. So tell us about the podcast and then uh, tell us about the live show. So I do a podcast every week, and I've been doing it for almost three years. Uh, every, Every Sunday it comes out. It's called Confessions of the Idiots, and each week I read out different funny confessions I find on Reddit or a website called Simply Confess, and I get my favorite people in the world to pick apart these confessions every week. And I'm a big believer in getting the funniest people that you know on a podcast and just seeing what happens because I'm I it's so nice to actually know all these people and then go, you know, introduce them to people that might not know who they are and then go, these are the funniest people to pick apart these confessions oh, yeah. every week. Where, where did the idea come from? I... I was reading a... I found this weird confession that a friend had sent me on Reddit. And it was about someone that was addicted to stealing paint. And it was stealing an entire tub of Dulux paint from a store, running out and then throwing it away. Like, that was enough for them. That was the adrenaline hit. And it was only paint. And I looked at it and I was discussing it with my friends, uh, performer Scott Brennan and Wes Snelling, the yes. brilliant Wes Snelling. Oh, Wes. And we went, this should, be a, this should be a podcast where we just talk about that every week. And I started to look into it and it was like, there are so many weird confessions every week and they're all about, you know, shitting themselves or, you know, like yeah. like like Dave Lawson, the most regular guest on 48% of every podcast. Um, oh, sorry, 48% of all podcast episodes. There, yeah. there are 
only three confessions, and it's having sex with a ghost, having sex with someone, or shitting themselves. They're the big three. Wow. And yeah. you, it, it boggles my mind that there are still confessions out there, and I get alerts on my phone for these confessions Amazing. now. So I, I'm hooked into it all the time. And, yeah, and I just decided I would do a, an episode. And the first episode I did was with uh, the actor Stephen Curry and Matt Stewart. And I just decided I'll try it out and see what happens. And if it's not funny, it's not funny. But it was the first time I'd done something by myself. You know, I'd done a podcast mm. with Greg Fleet for so long. And, and you know, uh, I can say this out loud Greg Fleet is very hard to do something with, uh, especially booking a podcast every week. So I was like, Fleeting. Oh, yeah, Fleety, Fle- Greg Fleet. I think what? we're thinking about the same one. And I was just like, oh, I, right. I just need to, I just <laughs> need to do something uh, by myself yeah. that is yep. 100% joy. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, it's me doing it every week and I can do it for as long as I like. But luckily people got on board and started listening to it every week. And it's been every Sunday, every Sunday for three years. And I've had people on like Sam Neill. I've had the the greatest people in the world have joined me on the podcast over over the time and and so I decided for the three year anniversary to thank everyone I would uh, I, I say thank everyone uh, but I am having a ticketed event and it is at um, <laughs> at Comedy Republic on the 29th of May at 5.30pm in Melbourne so Comedy Republic is this amazing new comedy venue and I'm so excited to actually have six of my favourite people in a room where I can actually just read these confessions for a two-hour show with intermission yeah. uh, and have, you know, six of six confessions that I find that week and and see what happens. That's a, that's a Saturday, so that'll be fun. And I, just a quick question on, on uh, by the way, anyone in Melbourne, if you haven't listened to the podcast, check it out. It's a lot of fun to do as well. The last one that uh, you, Alexi Toliopoulos, <laughs> and I did was a lot of fun. Yeah. But uh, I reckon it'll be a lot of fun to see live mm. as well. Uh, quick question on it. Can you tell when someone is confessing or when someone is bullshitting and just wanting to write a funny-sounding confession. Yes. Uh, A lot of the time there are bullshit ones where someone will say they're a a woman and it's quite clearly a man and it's usually something where they use a few words like they'll say straddling their massive cock or something like that where you're like that is 100% something a woman would never say never say and so yeah. there are just bits or or shitting themselves stories or facts it's usually yeah. it's usually a huge list of things that they say at the start that don't come back and are never referenced again and you just go i don't know who these people are but thank goodness for my podcast they exist they are writing Every week there must be the same people that get on every week and write these. And the greatest thing about doing this podcast for so long is that people now send me confessions. Yes. And right. so one every episode is by is by someone that's actually written it to me. 
and I never say that on the podcast because I don't really want to expose anyone who's written in. It's all anonymous, but it is very right. funny when someone writes in and has this and yeah. says, please, I want the actor Stephen Curry to rip me apart. And right. and they get a joy, you know, they get a bit of joy out of it as well, um, which is yeah. so exciting. And I, I'm very excited to do it live because, you know, it's it's 100% something that I've done myself and I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to see those people rock up who have been listening for for three years and new people who who haven't heard the podcast before but want to see, you know, Evie Jones is on, Limo, Jessica Brody, Zachary Wayne, Mish Wittrup, Dave Lawson, Reed Down. There are people there that have just been there for a very long time and yep. so I'm super excited to get to do it with those people. Stephen Curry is doing a, an MTC play, so he can't be there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's some of my favourite people who will actually be there together live, which I'm, I'm super yeah. excited about. And where can people buy tickets? They can get them at comedyrepublic.com.au and you just scroll down and you find Confessions of the Idiots. That sounds great. Sammy, thank you for being on the podcast today, and I'm wrapped that you found my confession about stealing paint. <laughs> That's the only way I can get erect these days. It's just stealing a bit of paint and then ditching it. That's what yeah, I've been yeah. reduced to, Sammy. <laughs> and I would, Thanks, I would like to say as well, uh, I do have a comedy film I made last year coming out on the 16th of May oh. on Channel 31. So if people are in Melbourne as well and want to look it up online, it's called Fraud Festival, and it's my first uh, feature-length comedy film that I've made all by myself, so... Um, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah it's got uh, Wes Snelling, Scott Brennan, Genevieve Morris, Tony Martin, Michelle Brazier, Stephen Hall. Um, the uh, the list, it's a completely improvised mockumentary film based on uh, Fire Festival. It's called a Fraud Festival. Right. And, um, yeah, Great. so the 16th of May on, if this podcast comes out before then, 16th of May on Channel 31. This podcast is coming out in three days. Oh, so this my goodness. is perfect timing. This is perfect timing. Fraud I've seen Festival. into the future. Yeah. 9 30 yeah. PM on channel thirty one. There's all my plugs, I promise. That's great. Thank you, Sammy. <laughs> Thanks, Chester. Thank you to Rachel and Sam for spending time with me today. Remember, you can find all of us on the normal social media channels. If you're enjoying someone's work on this podcast or any of the previous podcasts, please let them know. It's always nice to see someone reach out and say something nice. And, you know, I just reckon the guests would appreciate the love as well. Nobody said anything. But I know I like it when I see you guys reaching out. So if you have the time uh, or the inclination... That would be very lovely of you to do that. More pods coming your way. Don't forget to join the private Facebook page and let us know your thoughts about who Ben and I might like to cover after we finish our Sophia Coppola rewatch. Bit bummed that's coming to an end. I've really enjoyed her movies. Really enjoyed them. I have thought about somewhere a lot. (laughs) Uh, Some interesting suggestions from people over at the Facebook page as well. I think was it Claire who suggested Francis McDormand movies? That was a that was a tasty suggestion. You could just do her Cohen movies alone and that would be great. Anyway, head over and let us know your thoughts. A top review on Apple Podcasts is always greatly appreciated. 
Let's finish with a quote from author and showrunner for TV series like Fargo and Legion. This is Noah Hawley. And he said, I think people used to read War and Peace and now they don't. Now they sit around with their tablets and watch Downton Abbey and Breaking Bad or whatever and they want the thing that they watch to be better so they can feel better about themselves for watching it. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.